Our scripture reading comes this morning from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the greatest sermon ever told, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered to his disciples and followers in that region uh, north of the Galilee in the land of Israel. Uh, in these three chapters that we're looking at and in the Sermon on the Mount, which is 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus delivers a sermon that encapula- encapsulates or um, presents the very core and the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Him. And so if you go and you read His sermon, He tells His followers how we are to live. He tells us how we are supposed to be in relationship with each other. And He goes beyond even what the Pharisees and the legal scribes are teaching in terms of the laws of Moses. And He goes beyond to show us what the heart of the law is and what God really meant as He presented uh, these laws and these teachings to Moses who then gave them to the people of Israel who have now received them in Jesus' time and have lived by them for, for all of this time. When it comes to the Old Testament law, I want to remind you that, that Jesus very specifically said something that I think is important for us to remember as we read His words. First, He tells the, the followers of Him, those that are gathered there listening, that He came to fulfill the words of Moses and the prophets. So He's not coming to set them aside. He's not coming to toss them out. He's not coming to tell us to just do away with uh, the Old Testament. He's telling us that he comes to fulfill it. He comes to connect what he is doing with what we read in the Old Testament passages of Scripture. But then he goes further than that, and he tells his, his followers, he says, but you all must also understand is that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. So what is he saying? He's saying your way that you follow the law, the way that you respond to, to what I'm doing and to what God has instructed you to do, is to go even beyond what you are watching the Pharisees do. Because what he's trying to do, and what we have to remember as we read his words, is that he is uh, taking us farther than just the law right here, but he's taking us farther into the law to where we're reading it and we're knowing the heart of the law. And the original way that the Old Testament helps us to be in relationship with God and with each other. So as we've done the past couple of weeks, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the last two principles that Jesus lists out of six in his Sermon on the Mount. You know, first he goes the Beatitudes, then he talks about being salt and light, and then he talks about how he's there to fulfill the law, and then he goes into six different things or areas where he says, here's how you're to live. 
And these principles are things that combine our words with our actions, and they provide for us a true picture for us to see and for us to think about how God is working in our lives and in the lives of those around us. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, where the the author of Proverbs lists a, a list of things, of principles, or of ways that you and I can act in such a way that it would damage our relationship with God and with each other. I want you to read these. We're going to read them in a second. But as we read them, I want you to think about how Jesus probably had these on his mind as he's going and and teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Because he's telling us how to live with integrity. He's telling us how to live in relationship with each other. He's telling us how to be a community of faith and how to live in response to his grace as followers of him. And so he says, or Proverbs says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I think we can all generally agree that these are things we should avoid, right? As I read these words, I immediately thought how easily they could go along with the Sermon on the Mount that you and I have been reading and are studying. Can you see Jesus having this in his mind as he's talking about how the people are to A, know the law, B, they're to, be, um, uh, they're to follow the law with greater righteousness of the Pharisees and see how they're to get to the heart of the law in the way that they live in integrity with him, with God, and with each other. I could see how he had them in mind as he, thought, as he talked about these principles. About adultery and making false oaths and, and murder and, and all of these things that, that bring us to a place where we're not fully before God and we're not fully in relationship with God. And so the, the book of Proverbs is, is helpful because it reminds us that these actions, while possibly hidden from the eyes of you and I, are fully visible to God even if they're happening in our hearts. And so that means that if we are thinking of something in our mind without really acting on it, they're still fully present. Our thoughts are still fully present in front of God because God knows us at our deepest level. And so he knows your heart, whether you're acting on something or not. He knows your thought, whether you've decided to put it into work. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about some of these principles. It's consistent through the Bible. Is that he wants us to see and he wants us to think about how, A, we know the law, or A, we know the way that we're supposed to live in response to God's grace, and then B, in terms of of his life, it's then he's telling the people to look at the Pharisees and see how they're teaching it different from what the law truly says. Because he wants us to get to heart of what it means to be a follower of God and follower of him, rather than being someone who looks at the law, who abides by the law, but then who then, like the Pharisees, finds the loopholes and the other ways to go around it or through it. So we're living with integrity, but not really living with integrity. This is why Jesus takes the original text of all of these things. This is why he goes back to the book of Exodus and says, Here is what the law says as he is interpreting what the Pharisees are saying, what the Pharisees are teaching, and what the people are hearing. And every time he goes where the Pharisees are and he goes beyond 
what they are saying and teaching in order to say to the people, here's how you're truly to live in relationship with God. And so we're to be righteous. What he's saying is we're to be righteous not by how we use or exploit the loopholes. We're to be righteous by doing and following what God wants and desires for each of us. So like I mentioned earlier today, we're going to look today at the the last two principles that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 5. These are the last few verses of Matthew 5. And these principles look at the relationship that we have with others and also our relationship with God. And they're the law of retaliation and then the greatest challenge, which is the law of love. In the first portion of the scripture reading this morning, you're going to see Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. Whenever Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, what he's doing is he's saying, you have heard what it is said, the Pharisees say this. And then he goes and he says what they're saying, and then he goes with his direction to say, here's what the law really says. Here's what God really wants you to do. Here's what it really means to live beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees, to exceed what they are teaching and saying to truly get to the heart of the law. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. Boy, this is another time where Jesus is directly taking from the Old Testament law of Moses. He's quoting Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. If you want to go read it, there's a whole lot more of a passage of Scripture than I'm just going to share with you right now. I'm going to give with you two verses, but Exodus chapter 21 in its entirety, if I remember it, it covers what it means to, to, um, to get... Uh, retribution or payment if something is done against you or an animal or your slave or anything else and so in exodus 21 verses 23 through 25 it says if there is further injury then you will give a life for a life an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth a hand for a hand a foot for a foot a burn for a burn a bruise for a bruise a wound for a wound This passage of Scripture falls exactly after Exodus 20. If you remember with me, Exodus 20, Moses has been on Mount Sinai. Moses has received the Ten Commandments from God. God has given them to them, and God has told Moses, take these words and share them with the people Israel. And so in Exodus 21, Moses goes further and if you'll remember in the Old Testament, Moses goes up and down the mountain many times. So he'll go up to the mountain and he'll receive teachings from God and he'll receive instruction on how uh, Israel is to live in relationship to each other and to God himself. And then Moses comes down the mountain with that instruction and he shares it with the people and then he goes back up the mountain to receive more. So Exodus 21 is one of those passages where Moses goes further by expanding his teaching on how Israel is to treat each other, how they're to treat their slaves, how they're to treat their livestock, and then it outlines how you are to treat other people's property. And so he outlines how the people of Israel could expect to be treated, how they could expect to be punished, and how they could expect to be compensated if their slave was hurt, injured, or killed, if their animal was hurt, injured, or killed. It set official rules on what people could expect if they had wronged one another, and it also set the benchmarks for those in each town who were set in a position to judge others. And so these passages of Scripture, you can go read it. Exodus 21 deals with um, if someone hurts your spouse, 
If someone hurts your child, if someone hurts your animals, if someone hurts your slaves, people knew what to expect when they wronged or hurt someone else. They knew what the court would do, and they knew how they would be punished if they were found guilty. Friends, this isn't how the Pharisees are interpreting these laws, though. They'd begun allowing judges to decide if physical punishment was due or if an owner of a slave could receive cash, for example, if their, their slave was hurt by someone else. Cash payments, these settlements were uh, bringing injustice to Israel and communities because people were taking advantage of it. Physical, uh, Pharisees had also been allowing individuals to use the, the eye for an eye and, and tooth for tooth passage of Scripture to exact retribution on a personal level. So what I'm saying is that they're taking this, this scripture that says, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and instead of taking it to the courts and dealing with it as the laws of Moses prescribed and as God had said needed to happen, people were using this passage of scripture to, to get vengeance on their own. And so they were going out like the old Wild West and handling their business in the street. Does that make sense? And so vengeance was turning into lawlessness, as people are choosing to right their own wrongs rather than allowing the system and also God to make it right. And so Jesus says to get to the heart of the law, if someone hurts you, do not retaliate. Don't do vengeance on your own. If they slap your cheek, offer your left. He's not saying don't follow the law, but what he's saying is look at the heart of the law. He's not saying that people should not be held accountable for what they've done. He's saying that the courts and other places where it should occur is the place that retribution and these punishments should be exacted. And so then he goes farther and he says, you know, if someone has you carry their items for a mile, carry them for two. Oy, this goes back to being in the Roman Empire. Um, the Roman uh, army was allowed in, in regions that, that they occupied and were part of their, the empire that a Roman uh, soldier could grab someone off a street and have them carry their pack and their other things for up to a, th a thousand paces or one mile. If you can imagine, people didn't like that when the Roman soldier grabbed them and had them carry their load. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, go ahead and carry it a second mile. You're to go above the minimum for others. Is that not what he's saying that the heart of the law is? And so if that means that, that you are getting sued and someone takes your shirt, you're to give them your coat as well. If someone has you carry their pack, you're to carry it twice as far without even being asked. Jesus turns loving your neighbors into going something beyond what the Pharisees have said. He turns serving others in this, this retaliation and retribution against what, other, what the Pharisees have said. And then he says, you have heard that it was said. So again, he's saying, right, the Pharisees are saying, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, he's going beyond the law. He's going to find the heart for the, of the law for us and, and for his fellow followers, his followers to, to understand and to believe. What he's saying is that the Pharisees have insisted that, that this teaching means that if you love your neighbor, the opposite of love is what? The opposite of love is hate. And so if you love your neighbor, then, then what do you hate? You hate people who aren't your neighbors, right? And so what he's saying is that uh, the Pharisees are saying that, that if you're doing A, you're allowed to do B, not because the scripture tells you so, but just because it's opposite. And that's not what he's saying, is it? 
Because he gets to the heart of the law yet again, and he says, if you love your neighbors, you're to go even farther than that by loving your enemies. Folks, this is the way of Jesus. This is one of the most difficult promises for us to obey. This is the kind of righteousness when Jesus says, you're to go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees, he's really talking about in ways that you and I are able to be identified as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the righteousness that we see by those that are choosing to to be called a Christian. Because for us to, to follow this command, it requires us to receive the grace of God. We cannot do it on our own. And it's nothing new. I mean, Jesus is taking Old Testament teaching and he's giving it to the people in New Testament time. He's telling them how to, to, to treat each other, how they're to love each other, how they're to love e- their enemies as well. I mean, love isn't just a feeling, it's an action, and it's a way that we demonstrate and show to others the condition of our hearts. Because the model of love, as we read it, is God himself. But see, for us to fully live into this one, we have to be able to say that we need the grace of God alone. Because loving our enemies isn't a human thing. It's not something that is possible in you or I on our own. It's only possible when it's enabled by God who chooses to work within us. Because it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy to to focus on those who our enemies are, doesn't it? It takes a lot of investment on our part to nurture and maintain whatever hate is or dislike or to focus on whatever those reasons are that we consider that other person our enemy. This isn't what God wants for us. Which is why Jesus says you're to go beyond even the righteousness of the Pharisees and you're to pray for those that you consider your enemies. Because that flips the script. Friends, it's really hard to hate someone that you are praying for. It's really hard to invite God to work in and through their lives and to not develop some small feeling other than hate for them. Is it? There's a quote that I was, uh, that in multiple commentaries I was reading on this passage um, that uh, every, I think, author quoted. So I thought I'd share with you all today. Because there was someone who really knew what it was like to pray for his enemies. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, He was a German Lutheran pastor in uh, Germany at the rise of Nazism. And then during World War II, he became part of the German resistance uh, against Hitler, especially as he saw clergy supporting the Nazis and beginning to give a, uh, a stamp of approval on what they were doing as they were rounding up the Jews and others. He was arrested due to his plot and an involvement to kill Hitler. Uh, He spent time in a concentration camp, and he was killed for his faith. But he wrote these words about praying for our enemies. This is the supreme command through the medium of prayer. We go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Friends, these could be the words of Jesus. To stand by our enemy and plead for him to God. Because as we pray for others, we grow in our love for them. The more attention we devote for them in prayer, the closer we get to dropping our hate and to experiencing the love of Christ in our lives. Because we cannot ask God to impart blessing on someone without having our hearts changed in some small way towards them.
In fact, one of the greatest ways to ruin having an enemy is to pray for him and her. Especially since we know we profess and we without a doubt know that that whenever we pray, we know that it can and it does change our hearts. If we think back of different times and in the life of our country, I think we can all think of times where we've had enemies. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's larger, uh, and what kind of challenge it was for us to pray for them. You know, obviously after 9-11, there was a huge thing. We were in Albuquerque in, in 2005, you know, the 2006 was the five-year anniversary. Yeah, one, okay. Um, I included as, as part of my prayer, September 11th, in our enemies, and uh, I got an irritated email, but we still have to do it, right? Because I got a, lot of whole, a whole lot more comments of people thinking of the challenge and of really thinking of the countercultural call that Jesus has placed on us as his followers to be a people of prayer. That doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. It doesn't mean that we don't expect the best of each other and of them. But it means that we're rooted in God. And if we're really going to be known as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be known for our prayer, even for those that we disagree with. Because the catch is that someone cannot be an enemy for long if we're praying for him or her. Because prayer changes us. I want to leave you this morning by, with a quote from an ancient uh, church father. His name was John Christostom. Uh, he was a famed preacher in the city of Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria. Uh, because of his preaching, he was uh, taken against his will and made the bishop of Constantinople. So basically, he was made the, um, the, the Western Church, the Orthodox Church's uh, version of the Pope in that region. Uh, he was known for his sermons that were biblical and direct. He was also known for not playing the political games when it came to, to clergy. And so if a bishop who bribed and paid their way into office was found out, he deposed them and kicked them out of the church. And needless to say, made a lot of enemies. Uh, he was finally exiled by the, the, the royalty of that time. But he came up and said this about um, what it means to pray for our enemies in Matthew chapter 5. So he said, a first step is not to begin with injustice. A second, after one has begun, is, to not, is not to vindicate oneself by retaliating in kind. A third, to refuse to respond in kind to the one who is injuring us, but to remain tranquil. A fourth, even to offer up oneself to suffer wrongly. A fifth, to give up even more than the wrongdoer wishes to take. A sixth, to refuse to hate the one who has wronged us. A seventh, even to love such a one. An eighth, even to do good to that one. And a ninth, to entreat God himself on our enemy's behalf. Do you perceive how elevated is a Christian disposition? Hence its reward is us so glorious. Amen.